How's everyone doing tonight? Good? Who had a good day today? Yeah? Does anybody think that they had the most fun out of everyone? Yeah? Did anyone swim in the lake today? Was it cold? Yeah? Yeah, I, uh, I brought swim trunks. For what reason? I have no idea. There's no way I'm getting in that lake this week. It looks freezing out there. So, oh man. Uh, well, I'm glad you guys had a good day today. I'm stoked to be continuing this journey through the book of Daniel with you guys tonight. And uh, just quickly, I want to recap where we have been our last two gatherings together. Does anybody remember the two points that we left you guys with the first night? Right there. What do you got? God is sovereign. And number two? You remember it? No? Who knows it? This world is not our home, right? And so as we talk about uh, this story through Daniel and how we can live as resilient followers of Christ in a world that is really anti and hostile towards Christianity, we can remember that God is sovereign over all circumstances. And we're going to see some more of that tonight. And then secondly, that this world is not our home. And as we talk tonight about enduring trials, uh, this is going to be even more relevant for us. And then this morning... There were two main points that we talked about uh, when we looked at Daniel's life. And the first one was that Daniel feared who over who? Anyone remember? Daniel feared God over man. Yep. He beat you to it. And then the second one was, does anybody remember the second point we have to build our foundation on? Yeah, the rock, which is God's word. And so when we see Daniel living resolved or deciding in his mind to live obedient to Christ when the world seems to be against him completely. Daniel had built his foundation on the rock of God's word and that was the firm foundation of his life. Now tonight, uh, what we're gonna get into is we're gonna talk about how we as Christians should number one, view trials and number two, how should we then go through trials when they come up? Now, here's something that I want you guys to know. As followers of Christ, it's not a matter of if we're going to go through hardships. It's a matter of when are they going to come. See, hardships as a follower of Jesus, persecution, trials, whatever you want to call them, they are inevitable. There's no getting around, and we're going to go through some passages later tonight where basically, as Christians, we are promised that we're going to go through them. And all of those truths that we've talked about so far, but especially the fact that God is sovereign, is going to come into play even more strongly tonight. And so the goal of our conversation tonight is this. How can we build a healthy and correct perspective of trials while holding on to that truth that this world is not our home? Let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into Daniel chapter 2. Father, thank you for today. Thanks for all the fun that we had today in recreation, uh, in cabin time, during free time, uh, in, in everything that we've done. God, thank you for the joy of fun that you've given us. And so, Father, thank you again for this place. God, tonight as we go to your word, would you open up our hearts and our minds Father, would you make us receptive to your word tonight so that the truth of your word would take deep roots in our hearts, that we would walk out of here resolved to live obedient lives to you. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at tonight. Again, if you don't have a Bible, get in touch with your leader, and they will make sure that you have one tonight. Um, but we want to make sure that you guys are in those. We're going to kind of bounce around through chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Daniel tonight. 
going over kind of at, at a high view, but we've got a lot to cover tonight. Now, as you guys turn there, I got a question that I want to start with, and it's this. Have any of you guys ever had a reoccurring dream? Yeah? A reoccurring dream is, is a dream that you have just periodic, like you have the same dream over and over and over again. Anybody ever have dreams like that? Yeah. I, I, I can remember two reoccurring dreams that I had growing up. One, I absolutely hated having, but it was a falling dream. You guys ever have those falling dreams where you're like, you're just falling off a cliff? Okay. Now this dream for me, I was always in Pismo. You guys ever been to Pismo? Pismo Beach? Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite places on this world. Uh, but my dream was always over by the caves in Pismo. There are these cliffs and we'd go catch crabs over there. But this dream I would have regularly was that I would be falling off of these cliffs in Pismo. And I was always, and I never actually hit the water. I never hit the ground, but I would wake up so afraid, wondering why in the world was I falling again and again and again. And the second reoccurring dream that I, that I vividly remember having as a kid was, I remember dreaming often that I'd go and I'd turn the shower on and then I would forget that the shower was on. And what would happen is my house would flood. And when my house flooded, it was like it turned into this like, aquarium that was connected to the ocean. And so as the house flooded, all of a sudden there's like sharks and sea turtles and dolphins. And it wasn't that scary of a dream. It was just one that I would always wake up being like, what in the heck am I thinking about this for? You, got, you know what I'm saying? And we have these, these kind of reoccurring dreams. Now, this is where we're going to find King Nebuchadnezzar in our passage tonight. And so if you guys have your Bibles open to Daniel chapter two, we're going to jump in at verse one. It says this, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him and sleep had deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the diviners and priests, the mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell him about his dreams. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream and I'm anxious to understand it. Now, just so that we understand what's all going on. So the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has had a dream. And he's got no idea what this dream means. What we saw in the video is when those fireworks were going off, right? This was kind of depicting this story that we're going through of his dreams. And it's causing him anxiety. And now he can't sleep because of these dreams that he's having. And he's dying to know the answer. And so he summons all of his magicians and mediums, all of these spiritual advisors in his life. He brings them all in and he gives them this task. Number one, I need you to tell me what my dream was. And number two, I need you to give me the interpretation of it. Now, could you imagine if I walked in here today and I said, mm, last night I couldn't sleep because I had a scary dream. And if you, none of you guys can tell me what I dreamt or what it meant, you all have to go home tomorrow morning. Would any of you guys be able to tell me what I dreamt? No, right? There would be no, it's, it's impossible for you guys to know what I dreamt about Last night, in fact, I don't even know what I dreamt about last night. You guys ever just wake up and you're like, I got no idea. So here we are. Shh, shh, shh. Hey, hey, focus here, focus. So here we are in this story. The king has called in all of his advisors, all of these people, and he's given them an impossible task. Tell me what I dreamt about and tell me what it meant. And what we see is that none of these advisors, none of these people know what the answer is. Obviously, they have no way of knowing. And so they're scrambling and they're trying to come up with stuff and none of them can come up with the answer to the king's question. And what we see is that the king starts to get really mad. 
You guys would call it big mad, right? The king is getting big mad now. Okay, he can't get the answer to his question. And so he makes a decree and he says that every wise man and spiritual person in the kingdom is to be executed because they're not doing for him what he's asking. Now, this is kind of crazy. And if we remember where we ended the story this morning, after Daniel and his friends went on their veggie diet for 10 days and came out stronger and healthier than all of the other people that they were with, the king appointed them as advisors in his court. So now this decree that's come on all of these advisors, all of these people to be killed because they're not answering the king's question and now Daniel and his friends are lumped into this. So now there's a death warrant. There's a price on their heads. They, they are gonna die because the king is not getting his answers. Now let's check out how Daniel responds when he finds out this news. Let's go to verse 17 and 18. It says this. So when Daniel heard this, he went to his house and he told his friends about the matter, urging them to ask the God of heaven for mercy concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be killed with the, with the rest of Babylon's wise men. Now I wanna make sure that we catch what's happening here. When faced with an actual life or death situation, the first thing that Daniel does is he begs his friends to go to the Lord. The first thing that he does is he runs to his friends and he says, you guys, we have to pray about this. And the question that I wanna ask you is this, when you're presented with hardship in your life, where is the first place you go? Because we, you don't have to answer it, but think for yourself. Because we all have places that we naturally run when things get hard. Ask yourself, do you turn to relationships? Do you turn to social media or TV to try to escape the reality of the situation that you find yourself in? Do you turn to striving in your own strength to try to solve the problem and, and work your way out of it? See, we've all got these places that we naturally run. They're almost instinctual for us. But where do we see Daniel instinctually run to God because this is so telling about where Daniel was at in his life and in the centrality of God for him I want you guys to see that Daniel's life was fully dependent on God being his helper in times of need Daniel didn't rely on his own strength he didn't do what uh, fish guts tried to do in the video and just come up with some nonsense in his own ability no he goes to the Lord now, there's no doubt that in this moment, Daniel and his friends were afraid. I mean, I could just imagine if, if I had a price put on my head like that, if I, there's a death thing out for me, man, I would be terrified. But even in the face of death, Daniel and his friends were faithful to go to God. And what we see in this story in verse 19 is that when Daniel is faithful to go to God to be his helper, God is faithful to show up. Check out verse 19. This is what it says. It says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of heaven. So we see Daniel and their friends crying out to God, asking for God to reveal to them what the king's dream was and to give them the interpretation. And I don't want you guys to miss this. God shows up, but Daniel doesn't just get what he wants from God and then run straight to King Nebuchadnezzar to save his own life. I think this is how a lot of us treat our relationship with God. God is like a genie in a bottle and we're gonna go to him when we have a need and as soon as he gives it to us, we're like, peace out, dude. I'll come, I'll see you the next time I need something. And then we leave. Daniel doesn't get his answer and run to the king to save his life. Instead, Daniel stops and he worships God. Check out verses 20 through 23. It says this, may the name of God be praised forever and ever. 
for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me know what we've asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. What I want us to see is that God is everything to Daniel. God is Daniel's everything. When God shows up and faithfully responds to his request, Daniel doesn't just run off and forget about God. He stops and he says, God, you are the God who gives wisdom. God, you are the God who gives life and gives power and has given me this gift to spare our lives. And God, Daniel praises God for his faithfulness. And then he goes to the king with this interpretation. And what we see is when Daniel gets to the king, he knows all the details. So here's what he says. Basically, he gives the king this interpretation. He talks about, you dreamt of a statue with a head of gold, a chest of silver, stomach and thighs that are made of bronze, legs made of iron, and feet that are made of clay. And what the statue represents, Daniel goes on to tell the king, is it represents all the kingdoms and rulers of this earth. It's the Babylonians, it's the Medes, it's the Romans. And after describing the statue and its meaning to the king, Daniel goes on to tell him the next part of his dream which is that after he saw the statue, what he saw was this big rock off of a mountain broke off. No man had touched it. And this rock rolls down the mountain and it crushes the statue. And this is represent, representative of God coming in and tearing down all of the worldly leaders to establish his kingdom here in this earth. Now, picture this with me. Imagine you were the king of Babylon. Okay, you worship these other gods. You don't worship Yahweh, the same God as Daniel. You've had this dream. You need it interpreted by somebody who could only find out from the one true God, again, a God that he doesn't believe in. Daniel shows up with wisdom from God, gives him the interpretation of his dream, and basically tells him, King, what you dreamt about is the fall of your kingdom. How would you respond? Yeah, you'd probably be like, either one, like, well, number one, you're full of nonsense, right? You're, you're making this up. Number two, right, I probably wouldn't be super stoked about this information. If I'm the king and this guy comes in here and tells me that my kingdom is going to crumble at the hand of God, I'm not going to be super thrilled with that, with that information. But look at how the king responds. Shockingly, the king turns and he praises the God of Daniel and his friends. What a twist in the story, right? Not what we're expecting to see here. In chapter two, verse 47, the king says to Daniel, your God is indeed the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries, since you were able to tell me this mystery that I gave you. Right, how cool. This, this God or this king of Babylon who worshiped all of these other gods has now come to worship the one true God, a wild shift in his life from worshiping the idols for so long. But what we see is that it doesn't last long. Let's go to chapter three, verse one. Check this out. It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue. That didn't take long. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and nine foot wide, and he set it up on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, you might be a little confused at this back and forth that we're seeing with King Nebuchadnezzar. One moment, Right? He, he's asking all of these wise people to go to their gods and their spirits and their all these things and give them the interpretation, and they can't do it. 
And then he's worshiping Yahweh, the one true God, because he's given him the information that he wanted. And then we find ourselves back and he's worshiping these idols again, right? He's built a statue. He's built this idolatrous statue. What I want you guys to see here is this. There is a difference between an outward expression of worship and a heart that is truly surrendered to God. And what we see for Nebuchadnezzar is that this outward expression of worship was not a reflection of where his heart was truly at. Now, I wasn't planning on talking about this. Can I talk to you guys like big boys and girls tonight? Yeah? Okay. When we were singing earlier tonight, I, I loved getting to hear you guys sing really loud. But I've been around junior hires long enough to know that sometimes when we start doing that, we're kind of just having some fun. We're playing a little game. We want to sing louder than the rest of our friends. It kind of becomes this, this kind of jokery kind of thing. Friends, when we are worshiping God, can I, can I tell you this? God doesn't care about how loud you sing if your heart is not in it. God doesn't care if you're screaming these worship songs at the top of your lungs if you don't mean the words that you're saying. And my fear is that tonight you guys were in this room screaming these songs at the top of your lungs, but it was just a game to you. What we see in this story is that this is exactly where Nebuchadnezzar was at. And what a sad thing it would be for us to be in this room studying the story of Daniel, looking at Daniel's life as this example that we're supposed to follow as, living, as resolved Christians in obedience to God but for our lives to be more resemblant of King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I want you guys to see that this is serious, that what we're doing here this week matters. And the thing that I think that so many of us miss out on is that we think that God cares about what our lives look like on the outside, and we're not concerned with the condition of our heart on the inside. In fact, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 23, he's talking to this group of religious leaders and he calls them whitewashed tombs. He says this, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but on the inside are full of the remains of dead things. Friends, I want you guys to understand God is not concerned with your life appearing to be holy or with your life appearing to be put together. God is not concerned with any of that outward appearance. God is concerned with the condition of your heart. God wants to see your heart be madly in love with him. We're gonna talk about this again, but we talked about this this morning. What the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out, and so we're not having to modify our behaviors to appear holy. We simply give God room to run in our lives, and he does the transformative work of making our hearts change and changing our desires. And as he does that, then the outward expression begins to change. And again, this is where we see Nebuchadnezzar in this story. Things looked good for a moment on the outside, but inside, nothing had changed. Now, let's see how this kind of plays out for Nebuchadnezzar or for Daniel and his friends. Let's go to verse four in chapter three. It says this, a herald loudly proclaimed, again, remember, he's now built a 90-foot statue. 
This is what it says. A herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And so here we are, right back. The flip-flop continues. Nebuchadnezzar has now worshiped his idols and then worshiped God, and he's right back to demanding that people worship these idol gods. To paraphrase what happens for you guys next, uh, I think you guys know this story. The music plays. Everyone bows down except for who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Daniel and his friends, none of them bow. I can imagine they're standing there looking at each other, probably feeling a little awkward, maybe a little scared, like "Mm, we're just not gonna do what the king has now commanded. And when he sees that they are now not bowing down, check out what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 15. He says, if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Now let's check out these boys' response to the king in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king and said, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God that we serve serve exists, he can rescue us from the blazing furnace of fire and he can rescue us from your power, the king. But even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you to know as the king that we will not serve your gods or worship gold statue that you've set up. Now, don't, don't forget this response because we're gonna come right back to this. But you can imagine, just for the sake, we're gonna continue the story. You can imagine that as these boys defy the king to his face, he's gonna lose his ever-loving marbles, right? He's now, he, he's kind of a power tripping. Like, he wants the power. He wants people to bow. They don't do it. And as they defy the king to his face, he commands his, his guys, man, make the furnace seven times hotter and throw these boys into it. This is what we see happen next. So these boys are now thrown into the fire. It's so hot. All the guys that threw these boys into the fire died at the heat that was coming out of it. And here's where we are. Three dudes standing in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar is angry as he can be. Verse 24 says this. Then the king jumped in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied. He exclaimed, look. I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of the blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the most high God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire untouched. Notice, when faced with another life and death situation, these boys stood strong and resolved obedient to God, not bowing to any other God, not bowing to any other power, willing to die for their obedience to God. And we get to see this incredible moment where in response to their faithfulness to God, God is faithful to protect them. And not only to protect them, but we see this this story when where God himself sends somebody into the fire says that it looked like a son of the gods and we can read that story and we can imagine that God himself was standing in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saving them because they were faithful to God. Now, I want you guys to understand that God is faithful to be with us in the midst of our trials. This has been kind of the narrative throughout this story. 
that when Daniel and his friends find themselves in hardship, God is right there with him. And this is just another spot where we get to see that on full display. But I want to go back to the response that these boys gave to the king when he demanded that they fell. Let me read it again in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded to the king and said, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God that we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from your power. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know as the king that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Friends, this is our theme verse for this week. This is the response that we're gonna build everything off of. This is the resolve that we wanna set out to live our lives with. Where we can look opposing powers in the face and we can say, I don't care what you're gonna throw at me. I will not cave when it comes to being obedient to my God. And in light of this response, I wanna answer this question together with the remainder of our time tonight. How did they, these boys, how did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how did they and how should we as followers of Christ view trials and hardship and how then do we persevere through those things? And so the first thing that I want you guys to know is this. As Christians, we have to expect trials to come. As Christians, we have to expect trials and hardship to come. See, it was no surprise to Daniel and his friends that trial and hardship was gonna come and find them. See, for some time now, these boys' lives were marked by difficulty. Their lives were, were on the line. It, their lives being on the line, their lives being in danger was not a foreign thing to them eating the king's food, interpreting a dream that was nearly impossible and now not bowing to a statue, right? For these boys, it was not a question of if they were gonna face hardship and trial. It was just another matter of when it was gonna happen again. And I said this to you guys when we started talking tonight, but this is true for us today. It's not a matter of if we're gonna face difficulty in our lives. It's not a matter of if we're gonna face hardships as we seek to follow Christ. It's just a matter of when. And I want us to understand that tonight. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Jesus promises us in this passage, you will have suffering in this world, but he encourages us with a command, but be courageous. Why? Because Christ has conquered the world. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, my friends, it gives us courage when we are in the midst of trial and hardship. The courage that we have doesn't come from the fact that, that we've got it all together or we have the strength to endure. It comes from the fact that we serve a sovereign God who is in control over all of these things. He has overcome the world. Not only did Jesus promise that we would face hardship, but Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who would end up being imprisoned later, facing hardship, and then being killed for his faith in God, writes this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, My beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you that comes upon you for your testing, as if something strange was happening to you. To put that in, in simpler terms, he says, Guys, don't be surprised when you face hardship in your life. It's not unique, it's not strange. It's not abnormal. This is the normal thing that happens for us as believers. And so as we wanna talk about the perspective that we view hardship with and then how we can endure, the first thing that we have to know is that we have to expect the trials to come. The second thing that I want you guys to know tonight is that when the trials come, we have to trust God no matter the outcome. We can trust God in the hardship 
no matter the outcome. Let's look again back to the response that these boys gave to the king when he tells them that they have to bow. They say, if the God that we serve exists, he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from your power. But check this out in verse 18. This is what it says. But even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you as the king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the statue that you've set up. Do you guys see what they say in 18? They say, we know that God can save us, but even if he doesn't, and this is the kind of faith that I think that every one of us as a follower of Christ needs to make our goal to live with. We call it the even if not faith. The if not faith. The if not faith says, man, I know that God is sovereign and I know that God is loving and I know that God can deliver me from this hardship, but even if he chooses not to, I will not bow. Do you guys see that? And I think that this is so different than the way that so many of us live because what a lot of us do is we like to put contingencies and we like to make it transactional. This is what the game that we like to play. God, if you save me from this, God, if you help me to pass this math test that I didn't study for, I'll never sin again. You guys ever prayed a prayer like that? No, no? <laughs> you guys are all liars. Oh my goodness. All right, all right. Maybe you're not all liars. But we've all played this, kind of condi this conditional game with God. Shh, shh, shh. Focus up here. We play this game. God, I will trust you if you get me through this. God, I'll believe in you if you do this for me. And Daniel and his friends' response is so different than that, that they say, God, we trust you even if you don't do what we're asking. Do you guys see the difference there? Their faith in God was built on the stories of his faithfulness that they had seen throughout their lives. It wasn't contingent on if God answered their request this one time. But when we view God and Jesus like a genie in a bottle who's just here to answer our requests and to give us what we need, this is the way that we'll view him. God, if you do this for me, then I will live this way. And Daniel and his friends say, God, we will trust you even if you don't. Friends, this is the way that we should seek to live our lives. The third thing that I want you guys to know as we seek to set a perspective on trials and then set on how we're supposed to endure them, we can persevere and endure hardship because it produces a Christ-like character within us. We can persevere because it produces Christ-like character within us. In Romans chapter five, it says this. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you guys see the development that happens through this hardship? He says we rejoice in sufferings because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces Hope. Friends, the only way that we can develop true hope in our lives is to endure hardships. Do we have any runners in the room? Any like cross country or track runners? Yeah? All right, you guys are a little crazy, okay? So I'll share this with you guys. I started running this summer, okay? Why? I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. Don't ask me. I have no real reason for why I started running. I hate running, okay? I hate every moment that I'm running, I hate it. But I committed myself to this running process 
because I knew it was gonna help me get healthy. I spend a lot of time sitting in my office throughout the week. Uh, the, the office kitchen is right outside of my door and so there's a lot of sweets and pastries and, and I'm just, I'm trying to be healthy and, and honor God with my body and maybe I need to take more notes from Daniel and just eat veggies and do that kind of thing. So, but I started running. And as I've, as I've committed to this process of running, I've noticed that something's happened. I've grown. As I persevered through the difficulties of the first and early days of running, as I endured that hardship, my body began to build up endurance. And what's happened is over time, I started with a mile, and then I went to two miles, and then I went to three miles, and then I went to four miles. And because of the endurance that my body has built up due to me persevering hardship, it's now not really an issue for me to go out and run seven miles. But I couldn't expect to go out and run seven miles if I never committed to enduring the hardship that I faced in the first weeks of training when I was running one and two miles. And this is the same thing when it comes to following God. My friends, I want you guys to understand that, that having this kind of faith like Daniel and his friends is a process. It's not something that you can expect to just walk out of this building tonight and be resolved like them. This is something that you have to commit yourself to every single day. And in the face of hardship, in the little things, you've gotta be able to say, you know what? I'm not gonna compromise on this. I'm gonna be obedient to God. And as you do that one time, I'll tell you what, the next time it gets a little bit easier. And as you do it the second time, the next time it gets a little bit easier. And what happens is as you choose to be obedient to God and not to bow to the things of this world, two things happen. Your endurance grows in the face of hardship and your confidence grows and how good Christ is to show up and be faithful to us when we choose to be obedient to him. And this, my friends, is how we build up endurance as followers of Christ. We grow in our confidence of God's faithfulness to us. James chapter one, verses two through four says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness in its full effect, that you may be perfected and complete, lacking in nothing. This is what we have seen, the fruit of in Daniel's life. Daniel had committed himself to enduring hardship, not in his own strength not in his own might, not, will, not in his own macho man strength that he's just gonna white knuckle it and grit his teeth and, and, and handle it, but in trusting God, that God is faithful, that if Daniel chooses to be obedient to him, then God is gonna show up in big, big ways. Friends, it all comes back to that point. God is sovereign and he is faithful. And if we believe that God is in control and he is faithful to us as his children, and then we can be confident that God who was faithful to Daniel then will be faithful to us now. And we can endure hardship because of that truth. I wanna close with reading 1 Peter chapter four one more time. I'm gonna read it and then we're gonna pray uh, and then we'll co- close up for tonight. It says this. It says, my beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange was happening to you, but rejoice as you share in Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. For if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the truth that we find in your word. God, that you are a faithful, faithful God. You've been faithful for generations. 
God, that you've never abandoned or forsaken your people. God, that you've never left us in the dust and forgotten about us. God, but that you have been faithful. Thank you for the example that we find in Daniel. God, that when we choose to be obedient to you, God, that you show up, that you're with us in the fire, that you're with us in the midst of hardship. And God, the encouragement that we find in these scriptures, God, that you take the difficulties of our lives and you use them for our good. And that you produce Christ-likeness in us in the face of hardship when we endure those things. And so, Father, I pray for these students tonight. God, that they would trust that you are a good and a faithful God and that you use difficult things meant to push us closer to you. Father, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.